This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of iconic landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. We're not going to do that in this episode though, but rather we're going to reflect on how developments are taking place these days and perhaps think of a slightly different approach. Yeah, like I said earlier, this episode will not be looking at any specific monuments or landmarks, but instead reflect on the various development projects that are taking place in the city, especially the mega skill projects and whether that's the right approach that we should be taking in relation to the kind of heritage spaces that we have in town. As always, heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Carosa joins me on the show to reflect on this. Oh, I think that, you know, I mean, if we look at Kuala Lumpur, the, not the greater, greater Kuala Lumpur, but... Let's think about, you know, the original, um, and, we, and we can go back 150 years, you know, and we think about the confluence of the rivers, the Klang and Gombat rivers, and then, you know, uh, Masjid Jamik being eventually being established there in the early 1900s. And, um, you know, just prior to that, what was it? It was sort of, you know, swampy um, land with some houses, and it was a trading settlement. It was, you know, like a trading post, which serviced or supplied um, miners um, up and downstream uh, with um, the things that they needed. And also, you know, so the, the city of KL grew up. And, and within that, if you, you think historically, you think about it, um, when the British administrators came in and they established KL as it as the capital away from Klang that's the capital of Slango and away from Klang and uh, they established the federation um, you know office uh, that was of course there was um, Singapore and there was Penang they were the big places right and then in the middle was Kerala and so it, it helped with administrating managing um, their interests in the country economic and political uh, interests in the country right um, and so, what do you do? You, uh, you, you, in a way, you're the boss, right? So you have a situation where lots of people um, have, um, on what we know, what we call now the padang. You know, there were there were vegetable gardens. Um, there were shop houses along the edge. Um, you know, the land had been apportioned into lots, and and various people had bought and, and developed um, their buildings or, or owned land on that side, um, including look you, whom we know from Jalan Look You and all the other things they start as a talke, and um, you acquire the land. And you build uh, the Sultan Abdul Samad building there, and and really that was a mega development for its time. Imagine everything was human scale, two story shop house, um, very much an intimate, more you know small scale, and then you have this two story building, but it it's huge, it's humongous. I mean, for for in terms of a footprint, it takes up a whole block. Um, two sides of the block, it 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 uh, dominates with a hundred and forty foot um, tower. It dominates with the architectural style, which is different from what you've seen before. So it it, it it's a statement building, right? It makes a presence, right? 
move forward 100 years and um, the area that used to be the uh, the race course, the KL race course in Jalan Ampang, between Jalan Ampang and, and uh, Jalan Tun, what is now Jalan Tun Raza, get redeveloped into the KLCC complex, another statement building. So what happens in, in both cases, there's a certain amount of displacement of what was there originally. Um, in the case of the race course, okay, it was a race course, right? There, there were some houses around that people were impacted. Um, but it wasn't, you didn't displace so many people, all right? But you, you created a megastructure. That is a statement building that says, hey, look at us, you know. We're here, we're present, and, and we're here to stay. Um, and then you then you think about, you know, uh, again, and a few decades later, you have, um, and these are a big sort of government, um, politically aligned, uh, certainly, um, developments uh, that are not just commercial. Okay, you then have the development of the TRX, which is um, in the vicinity of what we think about as the Kampu Pandan area you know, on the edge of uh, the city of KL um, that kind of like sits between Jalan Indi on the one side, uh, Changkat Tambidola, Jalan Pasa, Jalan Kampung Pandan, and in that vicinity, which would have sort of developed in the early part of the 20th century into the middle of the 20th century as a residential and commercial neighborhood, which were reasonably low scale. Again, you're talking about you know, two-story to four-story buildings, um, not high flats or anything like that. There were some, but not that many high-rise flats. And they were then, all this housing and, and shops and all of that were then taken over, fields, you know, padang, were taken over and turned into this TRX development. And TRX is not just the tower, um, but also the the tower block that is, but there, there are several other buildings around it, right? So in the vicinity. So in this case, there's much more displacement. There's much more displacement, not just of, of, of people, but really of the landscape within which it sits because it dominates. It is, you know, 100 over stories tall. It's monumental in that, and the scale is, you know, you, you go from the Sultan Samad building, which is, well, 140 feet at the tower, um, to the 88-story high, well, the equivalent of twin towers and the complex around it. But that has a certain amount of breadth because um, there wasn't that, amount of 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 close um you know uh, dense neighborhood of families or, or 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 residential commercial areas in that immediate vicinity whereas once you start looking at trx you kind of like start moving into a, a situation where there are more communities you know that are affected by by this development and whether they were displaced or not displaced it is in their immediate vicinity so it's kind of a bit in your face right 
and it's mega. And then you kind of think, uh, uh, you know, a decade or so later, you have, you know, the Merdeka 118 development. Now, that is is sort of a mix between what happened with uh, the Petronas, the, the, the Twin Tower, KLCC Twin Tower Complex and the um, TRX Complex, because again, you have a major mega development, which is not just the tower, the 118 tower. But also, there will be around that a complex of several other high-rise buildings that would then create this large new commercial city center, which will be retail and commerce and residential and all sorts of things together. And that is plonked in the middle of um, three stadiums, surrounded by three stadiums, uh, the Chingu Stadium which was built in the 1950s, the uh, Merdeka Stadium, of course, that was built in 57, and the Stadium Nagara was built in the early 1960s. And within that neighborhood, you have also really quite dense uh, housing and schools and, you know, lots of people that interact with the stadium, the stadium, you know, they bring in crowds. So that, again, affects a, quite a wide group and and many different different groups of of different communities sports communities uh traditional shop house communities that live in chinatown literally in the shadow of this um you have that and actually what i forgot to mention to you is for example even other developments like the pudu jail um which is now the bogebintang city center um you know what people refer to as Lala Port, you know, that, that again is, you know, the where a jail used to sit next to a open piece of land, Padang, and now all of that is built up into more development. So you have a city which um, needs to, and, and, and because of growing populations and all that, wants to um, renew itself, wants to show itself as progressive as moving forward. Yeah, so I think I think based on what you yeah, the examples that you gave there it feels like we're definitely quote unquote uh, I think in in chasing development we we've definitely I think our approach to it has been quite quite honestly unique. It's pretty standard when it comes to I guess thinking about how you know how old the country is and how I guess in 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 trying to to quote unquote modernize we sort of I guess go on this rampant development projects right i suppose and and i think yeah i think what i find quite interesting is that yeah the, the kind of scale of buildings that we built moving on from that have been quite monumental in that sense right but it, but rather mm-hmm. in scale rather than just you know the symbolism compared to i think the, the kind of i guess older buildings that you gave examples of compared to the kind of buildings that we're building now there are two vastly different types of buildings right i mean if you think about the, the kind of buildings that we're trying to build in order to i guess quote unquote propel us to, to the next step, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, I would like to think that, you know, for a country as old as ours, it is pretty natural to progress that way, I think in a very typical way, but what would be a, yeah, a, a slightly different way to, to go about it, I suppose, you know, taking into factor, you know, density population, where we are at, you know, as a country and the kind of aspiration that we're um, aspiring to. I think that, Certainly not not commercial, not the commercial development of, of for example, um, you know, BBCC, uh, the Lala Port um, development. But, you, you know, you're looking at land that was owned, I mean, in a jail, right? So you're looking at land which was owned 
in a sense, by publicly owned land. I mean, the, you know, the government owned this land. Um, you, you're looking at uh, uh, the TRX. It was within a neighborhood and then it's built. Um, there were a lot of government, old government quarters there that were maybe not so um, well looked after or or so populated and, and, and they were not so... There was, there was a lot of land around them. Let's say you had a, a bungalow, you know, in a in a garden setting, which means that not so many. You have quite a genteel and actually really a, a pleasant setting, which is not so um, intense in terms of population density, right? But within that, I will say that you know, even with, with the shop houses around the area. Um, the scale of it is you kind of know your neighbors. You kind of like if you're if you, if you live in the area, you 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 can interact more intimately with your surroundings. Whereas as soon as one of these mega developments move in, um, everything becomes a little bit more anonymous. So the character of the place, I think, changes. Not that change is bad. Uh, you know, far be it for me to suggest that. But it's what do you substitute and can you substitute if a neighborhood is just really in the doldrums and has been neglected or has been abandoned for a long time? What do you do with it? You know, um, keep it in that in that abandoned state uh, just for nostalgic reasons or, you know, for historic for its historicity Um or do you do something new and creative and create something new and exciting? Um, to to add a new layer to the story, and so there are all all that there are many sides to to consider, and there are many, many of these aspects to consider. But I think that um, from the conservation point of view, we always try to look at what will, how do you balance um, new development with your cultural heritage. How do you find ways to embrace or to uh, remember the legacy of what it was, or the place of what the place was within the new development? And I think very often new developments don't have that. New developments sort of like through literally throw out the old um, and bring in something new, so that uh, you kind of forget and you you don't include. Um, the stories and the memories. And these stories and memories are very valuable to individuals and they could be very valuable to the city. How do you find that balance? So I'm just, I've just been thinking about it in terms of uh, the developments around um, the Padang area. You know, that, that, that there's always there's always talk about, I mean, Dataran and Merdeka, there's always talk about, oh, you know, pressure on, on the area because um, why should you only have um, these large, but um, comparatively not large, uh, old buildings there that really have maybe not just um, grown beyond their, 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 okay, their shelf life, you know, they've expired or are almost expiring because they need to be maintained. Um, maybe they're not appropriate anymore for modern the modern living context. You know, all these kinds of arguments that you have. And how do you then develop that area and bring it up 
in a way which um, embraces its historicity, its, its, its story, its legacy, um, the memory of the city and its importance to the city in terms of the original story or an early story. How do you embrace that? And yet uh, move forward and, and create new activity and and fit new things into it. So, so how do you make those changes that are sympathetic? Um, how do you add, how do you grow, uh, you know, an old building? Um, meaning, how do you develop it so that you can accommodate new use, you can accommodate um, facilities within it and activity within it that has maybe either very little to do with um, uh, the you know what it was previously used for, or even if uh, you're not um, doing, even if you're doing something which is comparable, you know, like it used to be commercial space, so you're going to convert it into a different kind of commercial space, and and so something like the central market development is 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 a good case, you know, to 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 mention here, where it had uh, you know a commercial face to it and now it has a different commercial face to it but it's still a, a place within which trading and selling and lots of people can come and, and activity happens you know how do you do that and retain the sense of scale still or do you do what we normally do which is you know let's just get rid of everything flatten it all and then build new and I think that that there are there are it, it's a constant battle, constant argument about which is needed. And I think that both probably are needed and there have to be compromises. Um, but how do you do it so it's a more inclusive action that takes into account the memory of and, and the legacy of, of what used to be there? Think about all those sort of like what we call, what we think are, are green lungs, you know, when, we, when you look at a Google map. A Google Earth map, and then you see, oh, we have a lot of green, we have a lot of green, you know. But then you plonk these mega developments into that, which bring in a, a group of people um, who actually don't associate with the neighborhood because they work there. They come in there, they work there, and then they leave. And it will take generations before you, you can develop this sense of um, neighborliness or of. Or, or you know, or understanding or appreciation of of your neighborhood because the scale of it is not because there are a lot of them very commercial is not friendly in that sense neighborly you know in in, in that sense of the word. That was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardoza reflecting on the approach that we have been taking when it comes to developments in the city. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9 you listening to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city I'm Hanif Baharudin and joining me on the show today is heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa we've been reflecting on the scale of development projects that are currently taking place in the city and whether a more creative subtle and sustainable approach that perhaps resonates a lot more with the local nuances should be considered here's the second part of the chat okay so um Who should be initiating this kind of conversation? You know, has there ever been you know when it comes to when it comes you to keep developments? You're asking me questions like this. <laughs> no, because I'm quite curious to know whether like like I mean because you would think that the 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 onus falls on um, the developers to I guess be aware of 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 the nuances of of I guess developing at these areas, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time. Maybe there should be a form of formal engagement with them as well to make them aware of the importance of acknowledging these things at least. And I'm just wondering whether you know, whenever there are developments of this nature happening, are there any attempts at engaging them to at least make them realize? Because because I think there are other aspects of developments in KL that are that you know you would sort of like see pushback from from the people in the community, right? I mean, highways for example tend to rile up citizens a lot more. So whenever there's 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 a planned highway, there will always be some sort of pushback. You know, uh, we we see it constantly happening across different types of highways. You know, even now with the PJD link, you know, yes. we know that this is the communities are I guess to a certain extent pushing back against it. I, I remember you know when Dash before Dash was completed, there was also similar sentiment. I suppose I was just wondering you know when it comes to projects as mega as this, you know, happening in KL, you know, and like you said, you know, it's. Constantly happening, you know, across a lot of valuable spaces in KL. So, I'm just wondering whether you know there are at least attempts to engage with, with these, I guess, developers or you know the people behind these projects to sort of like I guess not it doesn't necessarily have to be loud, quote unquote, or combative, I suppose. But it can at, at least there there can be that that form of engagement, I suppose. You know, I think it shouldn't be combative. Combative. I mean, I think that that you know who's responsible? Well, everyone really. I mean, you know, at the end of the day. The city authorities, who 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 you know, who develop um, local plans and um, agree, you know, what can and cannot be built within certain areas and what the land use will be for. Um, the citizens, you know, people from the neighborhoods who may or you know be interested in in the quality of life of their neighborhood. You know, what do they want to see and how do they see it improving? Um, certainly, the developers who are going to be putting in um, money into the development process, and and these development processes take years, years. So, it it kind of is, you know, would you think that it would be a good idea to spend a little bit more time at the front end, um, meaning you know, engaging with communities uh, when you're redeveloping. Up an area, um, talking to to people in the surrounding areas, um, informing them of what your plans are, and be open to possibly mitigating or um, adjusting those plans when new information becomes available. You know, um, or providing options like, um, okay, I'm going to be taking away this park, but I'm going to be giving you this other thing, you know, in exchange. And so, but that kind of conversation is is an adult conversation. And I think doesn't often happen because it is usually um, a confrontational. And, but I think partly because, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, the hoarding comes up and the building is de- demolished and, you know, or the area is cleared and everybody's going like, say what happened there? 
you know, and and you don't realize it's 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 happening until it has happened, and by which time it is too late, and the sentiments and 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 uh, you know get everybody you know gets gets either upset for one reason or another, I mean, and very often for good reason, but but then as you said, it becomes confrontational. So how do you know who's responsible? I mean, in the case of zoning um, and scale. I really am I'm, I'm talking about scale. I'm not talking about new developments. I'm talking about mega developments, uh, which um, impose a scale which is so um, monumental or, or I, I'm not going to use the word grotesque, but sometimes I think of grotesque in, grotesque in the sense of, of, of it is, you know, it, it's the, it's the, um, it's the Gulliver's Travels, you know, the, the the Gulliver in the land of the Lilliput, you know, the, the Lilliputians. I think I've ever got that metaphor right. You know, so you have all these little, little people. And and so someone that you think is, um, I think of myself as normal size, and then all of a sudden there are all these little, little, little ant people, you know, the size of that, you know, um, who are saying, wait a minute, you're invading my space. Um, and and it, and it, and you're sprung, it sprung on you, you know. So how do you deal with egos? Often the you know no because I own it and therefore I have every right to do it. But I think that that there needs to be a more adult, a more measured conversation, and and it has to happen now. I mean, you know, you talk about climate change, you talk about all of these developments in terms of. Um, creating environments which are and would be unsustainable in the in the future how do you make your carbon footprint smaller how do you think consciously and conscientiously about it um and it is not somebody else's responsibility it's everybody's responsibility i think that that that's one of the things and I was thinking about it, and as I said, I go back to you know looking at somebody asked me the other day about something to do with the um, the buildings in and around the Padang, uh, the Dataran Merdeka, and, and what can you do, and how do you make um, converting the buildings work? And there are solutions, there are design solutions, and there are architectural design solutions, but people kind of have to be, you know, there is the purest view. Oh, you cannot do anything with it because that's the way it was, that's the way it has to be, and that's the way it has to remain. And we dig our heels in and we say the law is behind us and that's it, right? And then you have the other extreme, where which says it's totally um, um, unusable as it is now, so let's just get rid of it and build something new which which is fit to purpose because that that's kind of gone out of it's 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 now you know long past its use by date so let's create something which which is you know and you'll be very happy once it's created okay so that that that's the two that's the extreme end. and then so somewhere in between is the answer but that has to happen at a, at within a, how do I say, within a space where people have to be, have to agree, A, to disagree, and B, to potentially listen to each other and to to potentially compromise, to listen to each other and potentially compromise and problem solve. 
you know, so how do you resolve that conflict? And I think there isn't enough space um, or effort put into conflict resolution in these cases. And I think that that is not what I Love Kale is about, but it is what BFM is about, in a sense, you know. Uh, it is about, you know, how do you create a business environment, you know, where where profit is not the only profit, meaning money in my pocket, is not the the, the single objective. Because if that becomes single objective, well, we might as well, you know, just I won't come back one next month. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, don't we still want you around? Okay, uh, but but I guess <laughs> I, to, to continue the conversation, uh, I, I think since you you sort of like, you know, asked us to start thinking of creative ways to go about it, um, do you have any suggestions as to how we can perhaps um, meet halfway when it comes to, when it comes to you know, always talking about this, this struggle between development of this nature and preservation, you know, heritage, conservation? I think it, it uh, goes back to the question of what we call um, the, the the significance and and the values you know of of a place. So if you look at something which is um, of ex of higher significance to more people, right? More thought has to go into the way it's developed or or new development is done within those areas. If it uh, is um, a place that um, has significance only to you, the individual, or you, the family, and has no impact on anyone else. That actually never happens, by the way, but, you know, some people believe that. Um, then you can make a decision. But imagine if even if you had um, an estate, you know, a, a, a one acre of land or four acres of land, okay, and you have your little house in, in on it and you want to now develop your little house into 10 houses, you know, um, on the four acres and it is very low impact because you have four acres and you can build 10 houses on it and you can bring in 10 families. But if, let's say, you want to um, turn it into a little a niche resort uh, that visitors then come and so you then look at traffic and you look at all these kinds of impacts it will have, not just on your four acres, but on your neighbours and bringing people in and, you know, moving people around. You come from Malacca. You, you know, everyone I know from Malacca, places like that, you know, will say, hey, oh, during school holidays, I don't come, I don't come, okay? Because it just gets so crowded, right? So even we, we just stay at home, right? We wait for everybody to leave and then we can go out again, okay? Um, that's an impact, right? Even if even if you live in Tukera, but you want to go into the old, you know, into Jonker Street for some reason and you want to go there. Or you, you might want to avoid doing that at particular times of the year or the week or the month. Um, precisely because that, and that impacts you directly. Um, even though you may live, you know, in, in, in a kampong somewhere else. Um, because that was your hunting ground. That was where you would go. Um you know, to a particular shop to celebrate a particular thing, to go to the mosque at that particular place or a church or a temple for a particular occasion. Um, that's one thing, um, to to do it for festivals. But it is another thing when when it 
actually makes life extremely uncomfortable for, for many individuals. So without understanding or without taking into account impact of negative and positive and neutral, yeah, impact of development on us, not just the property, but on the area around it, on the people who interact with that neighborhood. And it, development could bring a lot of positive change. There's no doubt about that. But it could also bring negative change. And when it is, so the question is, you know, shouldn't we start looking at how do we mitigate against these negative changes to either make them more neutral or to not have them? Because does it matter? If, let's say I make a million ringgit. Does it matter if I make, um, I don't know, a hundred ringgit less than a million ringgit? You know, I mean, you know, proportionately, by comparison, it actually isn't that much lie, you know? Um, even if I made a thousand ringgit more than a million, you know, less than a million ringgit, you know, how how far do we how far do we go? So so really is it if if like I say profit is the only um, motive and the only driver, um, then we kind of lost. But I don't think you know we're at that point yet in Malaysia. I mean, we certainly are not. Okay, there there is enough, but I don't think there's enough conversation going on. So how do we create spaces? Um, rather than dig our heels in and say, no, we absolutely cannot allow um, any changes to the Sultan Summit building, for example, yeah, um, because of X, Y, and Z factor, because it is a monument gazetted, you know, under Act 645, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and the Act says that you cannot do such and such, um, doesn't mean that you can't improve the condition within the building doesn't mean that you can't put it up for new use it does depend on what new use you're going to use it for and and that's a discussion and a conversation and um looking at um what is allowable within the law and what isn't because that's there are rules and guidelines that we observe well, we're looking at old buildings at, at heritage site gazetted buildings there are many things which you can give and many things which you can't give into, right? Um, and there, because there are guidelines and there, but very often it is, what is it that you want to retain? You want to retain the look, the feel, the significance, the character of an area. Now, if you build around it and surround it, you kind of choke it. If you uh, leave it to languish on its own, it doesn't do any good either. So you do need to find, like I said, you know, creatively new means to to develop. But you, if you put in only restrictions, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do the other. Kind of like you rather than say, OK, you want to do this, let's talk about if you do this, what will be the impact? You know, turn the conversation around. You know, how will it impact? Okay, right, it impacts your bottom line. Yes, but, you know, what about the social impact? What about the cultural impact? What about the environmental impact? Can we look at it more broadly than just the monetary impact? And I think that what about the, the, the design impact? What about this sense of belonging? Human beings kind of want to belong to places, you know? 
And so what about this? And how do we then design our urban spaces to accommodate this? Do we make them look um, and feel beautiful and huge and pristine, but where we, we're tiny, we're a tiny speck in the scheme of things? Or do we want to protect it and nurture it and develop it because we have been included in the discussion, in the decision-making? And I think that that is really where I'm coming from. Um, no answers, but you know, with new development, I feel it's extremely important for developers, um, agencies, owners, and local communities that surround it to kind of come to a table and say, right, you know, can we have a conversation? And we don't always have to agree. And there is this arbitrator somewhere down the line. But if, like I say, the only or the main driver is profit, then it's not going to bring us very far like, in terms of retaining a character of the chaosity, which which it still has, you know, and the legacy of our forebears who have gifted it. And yes, there's lots of stuff wrong with it, but there's also lots of nice stuff that's still there, but it's kind of a bit hidden sometimes. We don't talk about it. We don't celebrate it because we don't tend to want to celebrate the old ordinary we always only want to celebrate the princess the beauty queen you know the big the beautiful the monumental um well the majority of people are not made that way <laughs> but you know that there, there is the greater middle block right which is you know ordinary doesn't mean that ordinary is not extraordinary in itself it can be extraordinary but ordinary doesn't mean that you know we, we're not you know the the one percent royal the 1% monumental, the 1% or 5%, whatever, you know, the top of the class. But doesn't mean that it's bad. Not at all. But it has to be acknowledged. And I think it is in the in trying to look and understand the integrity of this space uh, within these places, within the, you know, and the historic understanding of the character of of a place is, to me, you know, very important because after all, you can bring it in, you know, if it was something like a naming convention, why can't it just be brought in to the new place? If it had good vibes before, if there were memories related to it that you can carry over. And I think that that's kind of where I'm coming from when I'm looking at um, new developments. I'm not saying don't do them, obviously they are needed but I don't know about developments in this day and age of our concerns about things like you know carbon footprints climate change and sustainability of environmental sustainability social sustainability cultural sustainability and of course economic sustainability they can't get away from it you know that's kind of where I'm coming from 
You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa reflecting on the various development projects that are taking place in the city. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash I Love KL, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and you can also find this podcast and many others on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharuddin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.